It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MLB Pipelines, Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. We're going to talk about the Futures game on this podcast. It's coming up, obviously, from Washington, D.C. on Sunday as part of the All-Star festivities down in the nation's capital. The rosters are out. Uh, You guys will give us your take on that. We're also going to talk a little bit about minor league All-Star games. Jonathan, you were part of the broadcast for the AAA game. We'll see what stood out to you from that game. Um, And some players, more than usual, First-round draft picks who did not sign with their teams that are headed to college. We'll touch on that as well. But let's start with the Futures game. Uh, it's become a great event. I think it's a, uh, easy to say that it's an event the three of us all love very much to see. Players from all different levels of the minor leagues coming together. And it's the U.S. versus the world every year. Now, the U.S. team has dominated recently. They've won seven of the last eight, uh, including last year. I'll start with you, Jonathan. When you look at these rosters and the breakdown, does it feel like maybe we're heading in that direction again? Yeah, I mean, on paper, it certainly does look like the the U.S. team is is better. Uh, You know, obviously, I think that has been the the case uh, each and every year, Uh, even when the world team uh, won the year before last. you have to go out and play the game, uh, but I, I do think that uh, if you're, you know, just going by uh, the years people are having and and where they're ranked uh, on our list, then yes, uh, the U.S. team does seem to have a, an advantage. Yeah, I was going to say, don't you think, Jonathan? It seems to me like when we're looking at the rosters every year, the advantage usually winds up being on the mound because I think if you're if you're doing the lineups. They're pretty comparable in terms of the lineups the teams will run out there. But I know when I was working on the preview story, the the world team has one top 100 prospect on the mound, and Jesus Lazardo, who's very, very good. But the U.S. team has six uh, pitchers who are on the top 100 prospects list, and I believe they're all in the top 50. It just seems to me, for whatever reason, that the U.S. advantage usually comes on the mound. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's uh, that's accurate. Uh, you know, what has helped the world team at times in the past is that sometimes there are guys that come out of the bullpen who can throw really hard that uh, aren't as high profile, and that that you know that can keep them, especially since it's typically you know one inning and done, maybe two innings from uh, two innings from your uh, from your starter like uh, Brent Honeywell. Um, you know, so uh, uh, that can help even the playing field a little bit, but uh, yes, uh, I think that is, uh, that is accurate. And, and the world team uh, lineup uh, should, should be plenty good, even, you know, without some really good young players uh, who are, you know, who either aren't going or up in the big leagues uh, or hurt things, things of that nature. And Jonathan, you mentioned the one inning and done for the pitchers, and that can be exciting, I think, Jim, in in one way, because these guys, they're not holding anything back. You do have some hard throwers, but they're coming out, and they want to impress. They want to show off a little bit sometimes for the radar gun. So you're going to see each of these pitchers really come in, knowing that they're probably only going to be in there for one inning, and they are are bringing it from pitch number one. 
No, you're right. I mean, you know, Hunter Green's a guy we could see top triple digits. Jorge Guzman tops triple digits as a starter all the time. Like, he's hit 103 as a starter. I mean, I don't know. We want to just extrapolate and we'll just say Jorge Guzman will throw 108 miles an hour pitching one in relief max out. I mean, I'm exaggerating, of course. You know, Yohan Lopez and Kieran Lovegrover are kind of two of those guys Jonathan was talking about where they aren't high-profile guys, but they can really bring it, too. So it is fun to watch. I mean, like we, we all know that there's more to pitching than velocity, and I'll still confess that the Futures game, I always kind of have one eye on the radar gun, seeing who's topping 100 miles an hour, like you know we saw Alex Reyes do a couple of years ago, and, and guys have over the years. All right, I just want to get your guys' thoughts on um, – maybe a player, a position player, a pitcher on each team that you're really excited to see. Um, let's start with the U.S. roster. And, Jonathan, on the position side of things, who are you excited to get a chance in this environment? Boy, there are so many. I mean, I'm not going to be a homer, so I will not take Alex Karoloff. Um, he was from Pittsburgh, though. I am excited to see him. I think I will take uh, Joe Adele, the Angels outfielder. You know, the Angels have uh, of late uh, gone in hard and heavy after really talented, uh, high upside athletic type players, and it's starting really to pay off. And he has been, uh, I think, even though he was with the number 10 overall pick in his draft, uh, much better than any of us would have thought right out of the gate. Uh, considering the swing and miss that he had, the concerns that he had coming into the draft, he has really, really performed well. He's already up in high A. Uh, you know, he can hit, he can hit for power, he can run. You know, five tool guy. So I think uh, of the U.S. hitters, that's the guy that uh, I can't wait to see. It's an interesting outfield for the U.S. squad because all five outfielders are at A level. Uh, you have Adele in the California League, uh, as well as Kyle Lewis in the California League, and Buddy Reed, and then Taylor Trammell and Kirilov both in the Florida State League. So certainly a young outfield. Uh, over to you, Jim. Position side for the U.S. team. Yeah, I would say Adele, but I don't need to just repeat everything Jonathan just said. I agree with everything he said about him. Uh, I guess I'm really looking forward to seeing Keston here. Uh, uh, the Brewers' second baseman, you know, universally acclaimed as the best pure hitter in last year's draft. Uh, I don't think he's done anything to dispel that. He's already reached double A. I'm of the mind that the Brewers, you know, who are legitimate contenders, should consider promoting him to the big leagues because I think he'd be an offensive upgrade over Jonathan Villar. And you know, one of the interesting things about Hero, too, was, you know, here's a guy who didn't play in the field for over a year because he had elbow issues, and the assumption. I think most people had was that he was going to need Tommy John surgery, and he's avoided it, and he's playing the field, and he's continuing to rake. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing him barrel up some balls in the Futures game on Sunday. I'll let you go first as far as the pitchers go, Jim. And you guys already mentioned Hunter Green and, and the radar gun and all of that stuff, so feel free to go with him as your pick. But there are other pitchers in this roster, obviously, with some exciting um, side to them as well. So, Jim, what pitcher excites you the most on the U.S. team? I'm going to say Hunter Green because I've seen Mitch Keller and Justice Sheffield in the Arizona Fall League. I've seen Kyle Wright pitch, but I've never seen Hunter Green pitch in person. Um, you know, everybody talks about how it's almost legendary arm speed. You know, it's probably if you're combining velocity and command and the ease with which he generates it, it's probably the best high school fastball of all time. So I'm interested in seeing that. I mean, he got off to a slow start in low class A, but he's really pitched well recently. Um, I'm not only interested in seeing how the fastball plays, but you know, I think the biggest question with him 
was, you know, what kind of breaking ball was he going to have? You know, could he come up with a, a good slider? Probably, that'll probably be his option over the curveball. And so I'm curious to see how, how that looks, too. I, I assume we'll see a lot of fastballs, but I also would think that Hunter Green could probably make somebody look pretty bad if they're sitting on a triple-digit fastball and he, and he drops like an upper 80 slider on you. So I, I'm really looking forward to seeing Hunter Green in person uh, for the first time. Jonathan, you have seen Hunter Green in person, so it's good that you get to go with somebody else. Yeah, even though I do want to see him. Um, you know, Dylan Cease would be a guy that I, uh, you know, I'm really interested to to see. Uh, you know, I'm coming back from Tommy John, there's another guy who's going to light up the radar gun in, in a really short stint. Uh, you know, went from the Cubs to the White Sox. Uh, you know, to see the, you know how far he's come. Now, I did see him pitch, but it was the summer before his senior year of high school at the East Coast Pro Showcase. So I'm interested to see uh, how far he's come. He just you know, moved up to double A not that long ago. He's kind of starting to jump on a, a slightly faster track uh, you know, now that the, the gloves have come off. He's actually almost reached the, the innings total that he had for all of 2017, uh, and he has been pitching really, really well. He misses a ton of bats, uh, so he probably would be uh, the, the guy for me. And I want to chime in real quick. That just reminded me, I have seen Hunter Green pitch live once. Liar. I, pitch. I know. I realized I don't want anybody to, to attack me after they listen to this, but I did see him at the Under Armour All-American game uh, a couple of years ago, and he also was impressive with the bat as well. So uh, it will not be the first time I've seen him live, but it will be the first time I've seen him live as a professional. Fair enough. Um, and Jonathan saw him earlier this year up in, in Ohio uh, in the cold weather. So you get to see him now in the warm weather in DC now in July. All right, switching over to the world roster um, position side. Jim, you can go first on this squad. You know, uh, yeah, I, I think you know, there's a lot. Of, it's, 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 a, it's a really interesting lineup. And part of me wants to say Sully Matias. You know what, I'm going to say Sully Matias, and I'll let Jonathan perhaps take the most – highest-ranked prospect in the game if he wants to do his answer. I, I remember seeing Sully Matias, who was a, a big bonus signing out of the Dominican Republic a couple of years ago by the Royals. I remember seeing him in, in spring training, and I think he was 17 at the time, on a backfield. Uh, anybody's been to surprise uh, on the Royals' side, the Rangers' side's very similar. You know, they got, like, the traditional cloverleaf fields. And I forget who I was walking out there to talk to. And I was walking back, and I just, you know, they, they talk about the classic, you know, it sounded different coming off the bat. <laughs> I heard this sound, and I was like, oh, my God, what is that? And it was Sully Matias taking batting practice. And even though he was 17 at the time, he was probably hitting 450-foot home runs with ease. I mean, the bat speed well, it was just ridiculous. And this year he's leading the minor leagues in home runs. Um, you know, he's still exceedingly young. He won't be 20 until September. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see him in game action against some of the best pitching prospects in the minor leagues. Uh, you know, looking forward to seeing him and looking forward to watching him in batting practice because he can really put on a show. And Jonathan, I'll go to you, and I, I assume maybe you will look to that infield and some talented Padres guys are in that infield for sure. Yeah, yeah. I love how Jim's like, oh, I'm going to take an up. interesting guy, and you take the obvious guy. <laughs> no, no, no. I know who you're going to say. I wanted to say the guy I think you're going to take. I appreciate that. I'm fascinated by Sully Matias, and I was just yeah. trying to be a t- I figured I'll take That's the guy fine. who intrigues me, and I'll be a good team player, and and you are like, you're such a good team. I'm, player I'm getting in the scoring position, and now you can knock me, <laughs> knock me in. Right. So there you go. All right, easy, easy RBI here with Fernando Tatis uh, Jr. 
Uh, I do love Luis Urias, but uh, not only did we see him in the Fall League, but I, I just saw him in the AAA All-Star game. Um, so I will go with uh, Tatis, uh, who obviously has just ridiculous tools, uh, tw- not just 2020 potential, uh, because last year uh, he he was a 2020 well 2030 guy actually and jumped from single A Midwest League up to to double A and uh, he's in double A this year started off a little bit slowly uh, but uh, has come on the the strikeouts are a little alarming uh, and the walk rate has dipped but he's turned that around and he's up to 15 homers and 14 steals so he's kind of Back to what he was doing uh, and, and keeping in mind that uh, he is still a teenager and he's in double A. So he's, to see him in this stage, um, I, you know, I remember even thinking last year uh, that you know, when, he, when he didn't come uh, that we would have a chance uh, this year. And this may be our last chance because he, he could be in the big leagues at age 20 next year. All right, Jonathan, I'll stick with you to start things off for the world pitching staff. Um, yeah, it's, you know, they're, they're not a lot of guys. I mean, uh, this time I tell you what, I will be the team player this time (laughs) and leave the obvious, the obvious guy, the best guy who has already been mentioned. Um, and I think that I am going to, uh, I'm going to go with Lewis Thorpe of the twins. Um, and I think some of that is just because I, uh, I've talked to him, you know, I do the twins list, but I've also talked to him, uh, as luck would have it the you know, last couple of years, I've gone to twin spring training. I've talked to him guys come off of, uh, Tommy John surgery. Uh, uh you know, I think that he is a guy who, uh, he's not going to come in and light up a radar gun. Uh, he's not going to wow you with stuff, but he, he really knows how to pitch. And I think the further removed from the surgery he is, the, the more he's going to, 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 to show that. And so, uh, you know, I'm excited that he's getting this opportunity, really good personality. Uh, I like to, to, to bump up the Aussies uh, also, um, you know, to, to see what he uh, can do. He's been uh, overall really good and missing more bats than you would expect uh, in, in the Southern League uh, as he, you know, continues to put that surgery in his rearview mirror. All right, Jim, you go ahead. Yeah, I'll take the obvious guy, Jesus right. Lazardo, who – I will assume will be the starter because he seems like the obvious starter. And, you know, we were high on him coming into the year. We remain high on him. I think you can make a case. He's right there with uh, my beloved Mackenzie Gore as the best left-handed pitching prospect in baseball. You know, he's done more in pro ball to this point. I mean, you're talking about a guy who, you know, can hit 98 miles an hour as a lefty. He's got one of the best change-ups in the minors. He can flash you a plus curveball. He's got super advanced pitchability for a 20-year-old and throws a ton of strikes. Um, it's a complete package on the mound. I think that's going to wind up being a steal to get him from the Nationals last year for Sean Doolittle and Ryan Matson in that trade. Um, it's going to be a steal for the A's. And with really with the way he's pitching and with the way the A's have played, if you told me he was in the big leagues by the end of the year because it made sense to have him in the A's rotation as they try to you know, maybe win a wild card, uh, I, I could see it. 
Um, and I think he'll be in the big leagues next year if it's not this year. It just the, the combination of stuff and polish, I, I don't know if there's anybody better in the minor leagues right now. And he gets a chance to impress in the ballpark of the team that, that traded him away. That's always fun to watch as well. All right, before the Futures game on All-Star Sunday, in the morning, not as early as it used to be, uh, they always have the high school home run derby. And the two top guys from the high school home run derby will compete during a commercial break on Monday night as well and really get a thrill uh, with the big leaguers. But this is always a chance to to see power from guys that will probably be, at least in the discussion, for first-round picks in next year's draft, if not top-ten types guys. And there's certainly some talented guys in the field this year, including uh, someone that, that everybody thinks right now would be the number one pick. That's Bobby Witt Jr. But overall, when you look at the derby field for the high school level, Hunter Barco, Tyler Callahan, Emmanuel Dean, Michael Dixon the second, Riley Green, Reese Hines, Hayden Travinsky, and Witt, um, a lot of guys that were at the Tournament of Stars for USA Baseball and some other guys mixed in. Jim, I'll start with you. Jonathan, you're going to be covering the event, so I'll go to you next. But, Jim, you have uh, – or Jonathan's going to be broadcasting. And, Jim, you've covered it hey, in don't the don't past. Don't be me. i got to yeah, write a you... story. You're basically giving uh, video the triumph and, and, and denigrating the print, the print uh, aspect. I would so never I do such a thing. I covering it as well, Tim. Jim, Terrible. What do you look for when you cover this event, I guess? I mean, you're getting a chance to see power, obviously, but it's not in-game power. Right. I mean, it, it's fun to watch. I mean, last year, you know, the two guys who, who, who won it and advanced to Monday were Nolan Gorman and, and Bo Naylor, who you know, has as much power, you know, along with Tristan Casas as, as anybody probably on the high school side this year's draft. It's just fun to watch these guys turn it loose. I mean, you know, it's similar. Like next week, I'll get to see some of these guys take uh, batting practice at Wrigley Field before the Under Armour game. But it's it's always fun. I think watching these guys, even though it's it's BP and not necessarily game action, taking swings in a big league ballpark and seeing how the power plays. And you know, they, you know these guys. I mean, they they they, they could put on a show. I mean, I remember the first one I covered, which seemed like it was at four in the morning, but I think it was actually seven thirty in the morning in Minnesota. It was very early, and and Luke and Baker who at the time was more of a pitching prospect, you know, put on a big show and, and he and Josh Naylor went to the finals. And I remember, uh, for some reason, one of the things that stands out from last year is I remember, um, Elijah Cabell, another impressive, I mean, they, they were all impressive last year, but Elijah Cabell like was impressive. And, and I, and I, I agree with him. Elijah felt like he got shorted. They miscounted his home run total. And I, maybe cause I was standing closest to him and, and he came over to me and wanted me to try to rectify it. And I think I, I even texted you guys because you guys were broadcasting it, and I don't know who ruled on it, but uh, he was not given the home run he believed he hit. And uh, but for some reason that was one of the memories too. But like these guys take it seriously. Elijah was—he wasn't angry, but he was—he he could not believe that they'd miscounted his home run total. I remember the the controversy a little bit last year as me and Jonathan were doing the broadcast, um, <laughs> and and he didn't end up getting through. But but um, you know. We move on from that. Jonathan, speaking of guys who are better known as pitchers right now, Hunter Barco is a guy that, that is more pitching now, but he can swing the bat and hit for power. Yeah, he's a big, strong, six foot four lefty. Um, you know, this event has had a share of guys who you know, ended up pitching. Joey Wentz uh, performed well. Uh, he, you know, he's uh, in the Braves' top ten now as, as a pitcher. Uh, and sort of a fun thing is, Hunter Green and Joe Adele were both in this event a couple of years ago. Green, obviously, we've talked about uh, him on the mound. And they're both going to be in D.C. Uh, for the Futures game. Uh, so I think it shows a, sort of an interesting 
uh, you know, the, the, the track record of, of this game to, to have guys come back. Uh, last year was fun because um, Josh Naylor, who had been in the, in the Derby, uh, was a futures gamer and was able to watch his brother Noah compete. Um, so it's, um, yeah, I mean, Barco's an interesting guy. I, we saw him, uh, saw him pitch in the Tournament of Stars and where he was good but not great. And that's where his future will be. Uh, but he's a legitimate two-way guy in high school with uh, as much uh, power and strength as, as anybody in the class. I'm going to take Reese Hines as my favorite going into this, though. Saw him hit Absolutely. a two-homer game at the Tournament of Stars, um, and one of those just sky-high home run that barely got over the other one a laser he kind of showed what he can do um i think he hit one more during the team trials a little bit later but he's my pick jonathan do you have a pick well that would have been mine All right, that's fair um we can but, have the same uh, guy. you know what i uh i'm gonna go with tyler callahan um you know, there's a lot of guys who are really good hitters reese hines has the most raw power i mean we saw in that gold medal game you know he hit two out and uh, you know, he, he's got ridiculous power. Uh, but if I were going to go with second guy, I'm going to go with Callahan. He really, he barreled up the baseball consistently well during the tournament of the stars. Um, he didn't have home runs to show for it, but, uh, he can, he can drive the ball and, uh, and with a, a lot of bat speed. And so, uh, I think, uh, he's a guy, a left-handed hitter also on that, uh, USA baseball 18 and under trials roster, uh, like Barco, uh, like Hines, uh, so I'll I'll uh, I'll go with him as choice. Uh, we'll say one A. And Jim, you should be rooting for Callahan too because he's an all interview team kind of guy. So if you have to interview the winners, Callahan would definitely be a guy who probably give you some good stuff. Um, all right, so that's it for future futures game Sunday, All Star game Sunday. Uh, Jonathan, a few other things to touch on. Jonathan, you mentioned you covered the AAA All Star game. You mentioned Luis Urias. Who else stood out to you in that game last night? Pacific Coast. Getting the win twelve to seven. Yeah, it was uh, it was a, a slugfest. The, the guy who, who performed the best was Ken Wong, Colton's younger brother. Um, had three hits, two doubles, drove in a pair of runs. Um, he's this guy who's in Triple A at age twenty three and is hitting three sixteen on the year, so he can hit. It's just uh, you know, a question of where you can try to find a place uh, into that lineup. It was interesting. They. Moved him out. Uh, you know, it's All Star game. Sometimes guys move around, but he moved out to left field. I was like, "What?" And I looked, and this year he's been playing some left field as they try to move him around to, to try to make that work. Um, some of the arms were really impressive, Jim. I know you do the the Yankees list. So this is the first time I got to see Cody Carroll pitch, and uh, th- that was some silly stuff. He did that um, in the fall league last year too. Yeah. He, oh, maybe you know, maybe crazy. I did. Maybe I did see him there, but you know, sometimes with the relievers, you lose track right. of who you saw when. And um, but he was, you know, upper nineties. The slider was good. Uh, two strikeouts, fourteen pitch inning. Um, and there were a couple of relievers who who did that. Uh, kind of a good uh, story. Guys, not as high a profile prospect, but Daniel Ponce de Leon, who in May t- of last year took a line drive off of his head and needed emergency brain surgery. Uh, actually got called up to the big leagues earlier this year, but didn't pitch and then got sent back down was ridiculous. Uh, struck out the side on 15 pitches uh, with the number two, three, and four hitters, and that included Francisco Mejia uh, in, in that inning. Uh, and just, uh, you know, so it's, it was a, it was, it was a good story. Uh, he is clearly not phased by anything, especially after what, uh, what he's been through. 
The double-A All-Star game was also played on Wednesday night, a 4-4 tie. So it is what it is. They played nine innings. They ended up tying. Uh, Tim Tebow in that game. New York Mets actually having a pretty good run. Uh, 270 this year with five homers, 33 RBIs heading into that break. Um, Obviously, there was a lot of attention on Tebow. Um, Jim, thoughts on how he's progressed? Because we've talked about him a lot, obviously, on this podcast, but he's actually having a pretty good double-A season. Well, the guy's 30, and he's slugging (laughs) 390, so I think you're being a little generous in terms of a good double-A season. Fair Um, enough. I will say, Johnson's laughing. I think Johnson's happy I got asked this question and not him. Um, I mean, I will say this. I mean, we talked about him a lot when he was in the Fall League in the fall of 2016. And the thing that stood out to me when he was in the Fall League, the two things that stood out were, one, he worked hard and he seemed committed, and, two, you did see improvement. And I think that's true from what we saw last year, two Class A stops to double A. He, you know, hitting 270 versus 226. Walk rate's about the same. Power is about the same. I mean, power is supposed to be his carrying tool, and he's got 13 homers in 202 minor league games. Um, you know, do I think he's going to play in the big leagues? I do, because I think he'll be a gate attraction for the Mets. And I commend the guy. I honestly thought when this whole story started that he would play a year tops in the minor leagues and then decide, you know what, you know, is this really worth it, riding buses, all these long hours, you know, running around the minors. And, and to his credit, he's stuck with it, and he has improved. But, I mean, you're still talking about a guy who's 30 years old, who's essentially hitting a soft 270, and he's a below-average left fielder. That's not the profile of a, of a true big leaguer. But I will commend him for sticking with it. And, and we've got to give Jonathan a little plug here. Um, the scheduling got kind of goofy this year with the timing of the double and triple all-star games, which are usually after the big league all-star game. And somehow that got out of whack. But, Jonathan, if I'm not mistaken, I know you did the broadcast last night, but the broadcast actually will air next week, right? It will air next Wednesday I when the game that's... normally would be played. Oh, I shouldn't yeah, have given the score away. So it's like, uh, so everybody check that out. Definitely. Jonathan and I switched it up a little bit this year, but the, the AAA game is always a real interesting mix of, of prospects and then older veterans. But uh, So check out Jonathan broadcasting that live from, well, I guess it won't be live. Broadcasting live on from, tape. Live on tape uh, next Wednesday on MLB Network. And now you know kind of what to look for within that game as well. Good stuff. All right, one more thing to touch on on this podcast as we are running out of time is back to the draft uh, real quickly, and it was kind of interesting. Three first-rounders, four if you count supplemental first-rounder Gunnar Hoglund, but uh, Carter Stewart, Braves number 8 pick, Matt McClain, D-backs number 25, JT Ginn, Dodgers number 30, and then number 36, Gunnar Hoglund. Uh, do not sign, which, Jim, you wrote the article about this, but this is kind of unprecedented recently to have this many guys not sign in the first round. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, last year there were only three guys in the top ten rounds, and the year before that only two guys in the top ten rounds who didn't sign. Four of the top 36 picks this year didn't sign. That's the first time since 1989, and that was so long ago. That was my first year of Baseball America. I was fresh out of college. That's a, that's a very long time ago. Now, that said, I mean, you kind of had some differing things going on here with with Carter Stewart, number eight overall by the Braves, and Gunnar Hoglund, who's the 36th overall pick by the Pirates. That was a case 
where the teams were concerned about something they saw in the post-draft physical. The player side did not share the concerns and thought they were overblown, and the two sides just couldn't bridge the gap. And so Carter Stewart is headed to Mississippi State, although there is some talk, some speculation he might go to a junior college to be draft eligible, and Gutter Hogland will go to Ole Miss. Matt McLean with the Diamondbacks, 25th overall pick, I think that was kind of a, a combination of factors. You know, he wasn't that type of first-round guy coming into the year. Really, even early in the spring, he kind of blew up at the Boris Classic. And I think, from what I understand, he just kind of got really excited before he blew up as a prospect with the idea of attending UCLA. And, you know, he put out a $3 million price tag, and I think he just decided, if I don't get $3 million, I'm going to... I'm going to go to UCLA, and the, and the Diamondbacks offered him slot. They thought they could maybe get him done for slot. At the same time, you know, it doesn't ruin the Diamondbacks draft by any means because they get a pick, you know, they get the 26 overall pick next year as compensation. All these teams get the pick after the pick they didn't sign this year. But they also took, with their, their supplemental first round or second rounder, they got a couple outfielders, Jake McCarthy and Alec Thomas, who the Diamondbacks were rumored to like with that first-round pick as well. So they still got two guys they really liked a lot. And I think that was a fairly amicable negotiation. They just The Diamondbacks couldn't quite get to $3 million, and so he's going to college. And G.T. Ginn was kind of the curious one with, with the Dodgers. You know, They didn't discuss money. I, I don't think they, they figured out price on him or Michael Grove, their second-rounder out of West Virginia, who missed the whole year coming back from Tommy John surgery, but hit 98 miles an hour in some pre-draft workouts. And I think what it boiled down to in the end was I think Grove, I think they fell in love with Grove. Grove cost them more than they thought he was going to be. He didn't sign for slot. He signed for more than 300000 over slot. And I think if they had that $300,000 back, they could have gotten GT Ginn done for about 275 or 28, and that probably would have gotten it done. But they could only offer him around 24, uh, and, and that wasn't enough to get it done. Now, you can debate. You know, $400,000 difference over a high school pitcher. You know, he will be a draft-eligible sophomore at Mississippi State in a couple of years. But that was just one where I think, you know, I think in a perfect world for the Dodgers, they would have gotten Ginn and Grove done. And they kind of had to pick between the two of them. And they picked Grove and thought that Ginn might take 2.4 or hoped he might take 2.4, but he didn't. So it's uh, kind of unusual to see four guys uh, that high go unsigned. Maybe the big winner in this, if Carter Stewart does go where he was committed to, is Mississippi State with Ginn and Stewart, both being Mississippi State guys. They could have an impressive uh, two young freshman pitchers next spring. We'll see how that all pans out, though, in the long run. Uh, One more thing. Jonathan, do you see, could this be something that we're going to see more of, or is this just kind of a one-off because these are all kind of random, different reasons? Yeah, I don't... I I think I would uh, warn against seeing too much of a trend um you know i think there's too much track record over the last several years that the uh, guys by and large have signed and, and even so in this case that you know top 10 rounds were almost all signed i think it is interesting that uh it didn't blow up any of these teams drafts entirely i think that's always a concern if you lose that money towards your pool so even though they didn't get those guys signed they didn't manage their pools uh, overall, well, outside of you know what what Jim was explaining with uh, with the with the Dodgers, but they still managed to bring in some guys that they liked uh, in the draft. It didn't destroy everything, but I I I, I don't think it, it's pointing to any kind of 
uh, trend. I think it'll be interesting to see if teams next year, and we won't necessarily be privy to that information, uh, will use that as a negotiating play. Uh, uh, you know, where they say, "Listen, you know, well, well, you saw what happened last year. These teams in the first round uh, didn't budge, and some guys didn't sign. And we'll have to see who who blinks first uh, when, if and when that happens." Yeah, and I agree with Jonathan 100%. I don't think we're seeing a trend here. Two of these guys failed physicals. Your Carter Stewart had a wrist issue that wasn't going to show up in the pre-draft MRI program, and you're always going to go back. I mean, Brady Singer, who you know we had ranked number two this year, was a first-round pick of the Royals. He, had the, he went through the same thing out of high school with the Blue Jays. So I, I think the physical things are kind of fluky. Like, you can't really foresee those happening. And McLean, like I said, was kind of a unique situation where he really, really blossomed this spring. And I think by the time he blossomed, he already was, was you know, pretty enamored with the idea of going to UCLA and, and just kind of said, okay, well, either they're going to meet my price or I'll go. You know, it'll be interesting to see. You know, the Ginn thing really just points to some teams like to lock down exactly what it's going to cost to sign guys before they pick them, and other teams don't. You have a team like the Indians that played the draft perfectly this year, spent all but $1 of the max 5% they could go over their bonus pool without losing the first-round pick, but the Indians didn't talk money with, with Bo Naylor or Ethan Hankins in the first round before they took them, and they got them done for less than their asking price, and they signed some other over-slot guys too. But, you know, so that's like the way when it really works out. Or you can have like the Dodgers where the guys don't quite sign for what you think you have. they are, and you have to make a tough choice. But I, I don't think this is a trend. I just think the, the injuries you're never going to see coming. The other two were just kind of a you know, little unusual situation. All right, good stuff, guys. Make sure you tune in. The Futures game coming up on Sunday afternoon from Washington, D.C. Um, and then in the morning, the streaming of that high school home run derby as well. We will have a full recap of that stuff on the podcast next week, and we will definitely start to look ahead a little more to the trade deadline as well because the All-Star game and the trade deadline are really close together this year. Not a lot of time for teams to make decisions when they get back from the break. All right, for Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in to the Pipeline Podcast. Podcast.